I'm sorry, gang. I thought camping would hone our instincts and make us better mystery solvers. Not get us thrown into forest jail. Plus, we've all turned 18, so we'll be tried as forest adults. Welcome to another episode of the Unmasked History of Scooby-Doo, the podcast where we delve into the mystery of Scooby-Doo media, getting clues from people who helped bring our favorite mystery-solving dog to life on various platforms, and maybe eating some Scooby snacks along the way. I'm your host, Alexa Lawler. Maybe it's me who needs to understand Fred. You know, walk a mile in his ascot. So let me get this straight. To stop annoying Fred, you're going to become Fred, which is guaranteed to annoy Fred? Sandwich, big sandwich. Build that sandwich high. Sandwich, big sandwich. Up into the sky. He used to say, whoa, nobody move. My tuna fish sandwich is missing. Well, that's a weird thing to say. Welcome to the fifth and last episode of this month's Be Cool Scooby-Doo theme. On this episode, I had the chance to chat with writer Marley Halpern Grazer. Marley wrote about seven episodes of Be Cool, as well as The Gathering Gloom for Mystery Incorporated and the 2013 Mask of the Blue Falcon movie. Let's get into the interview. Marley, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I am excited to be here in my house where I am every day. <laughs> well, it's lovely to have you on the podcast. So if you're up for it, I usually start off with a quick three-question trivia game. Yeah, let's do it. Perfect. Um, so question one, in the Mystery Incorporated episode, The Gathering Gloom, what is the name of the person that Velma believes, and as it turns out, correctly believes, is the villain? Oh, you know what? I bet I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a prediction that I'm not going to remember, remember anybody's names. I know he was the creepy groundskeeper uh, and of the, few, of the cemetery, and I do not remember his actual name. <laughs> it was Avalo von Meanskrieg. Ah, that's, that's great. <laughs> I didn't in I'm going to say this as an excuse and then my I bet I'll be invalidated with the next two questions. Uh his name was actually chosen for me by the showrunners of Mystery Incorporated. So maybe that's why I don't remember, but let's see. <laughs> Fair enough. The second question is just kind of mean, but I thought it would just be fun. <laughs> um in the Scooby-Doo Mask of the Blue Falcon movie, what is the name of the convention that the gang is attending? Oh, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> that is fair, because it is the Mega Mondo Pop Comic Conapalooza. That sounds, I, I had stuck in my head the, uh, the Simpsons joke of the Bi, the, uh, Bi Mon Sci-Fi Con. <laughs> uh, so I remembered the kind of joke it was. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and the last question for the trivia, in the Be Cool Scooby-Doo episode, if you can't Scooby-Doo the time, don't Scooby-Doo the crime, okay. uh, why is Fred upset with Shaggy? Fred is upset with Shaggy because, all right, I remember that one, um, they're at the, out, they're at, out like the Alcatraz sort of prison, and 
Someone's eating a sandwich in that one, but I don't think it's Shaggy. I don't remember. I should have looked stuff up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Fred is upset with Shaggy because he thinks that Shaggy stole his sandwich. That was okay. So yeah, it was the sandwich. (laughs) It was. But I, and yeah. the person ended up being Daphne. Yes. I, okay. I knew there was something about a sandwich in that one. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> oh, so close. Well, I'm st- I, I did actually come up with the title, If You Can't Scooby-Doo the Crime, Don't Scooby-Doo, or Scooby-Doo the Time, Don't Scooby-Doo the Crime. So I, I'm still proud of that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, and to kick off the general questions here, what's your relationship to Scooby-Doo? Did you grow up watching? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, I I think like uh, a lot of people uh, my age, uh, I was uh, I was born in uh, 1985, so I wasn't watching original Scooby Doo uh, as it originally aired. I think my very first experience was was probably Pup Named Scooby Doo, but I only watched one or maybe two episodes of Pup, and then I found original Scooby Doo. So I mostly feel like my experience as a kid was watching like reruns of the 1969 show. Um, and yeah, I, I, I loved it, especially from ages like four to six, I would say Scooby was one of my favorite shows. Uh, one thing that puts me a little bit at odds with uh, some Scooby fans and some Scooby creators is uh, I loved Scrappy-Doo. I preferred Scrappy-Doo episodes to non-Scrappy-Doo episodes. Okay. <laughs> I thought Scrappy-Doo was really funny. (laughs) That is awesome. That is actually, you know, such a rarity. (laughs) Yeah, I might be one of the old... I think the creator of Scrappy-Doo doesn't even like Scrappy-Doo, so it's a small club. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, I like like him when he's used well. Yeah, I mean... I'm sure those episodes, I've, I will admit I haven't gone back and really rewatched any Scrappy-Doo episodes, so most of them I only saw when I was five. <laughs> but my pitch for Scrappy-Doo, at least my memory of Scrappy-Doo, is that he's little and he's, he's brave, but that bravery puts Shaggy and Scooby, who are cowards, into trouble, and that's a funny dynamic. Definitely. <laughs> Um, and do you have a favorite personal memory related to Scooby, whether that's, you know, growing up watching it or um, after working on it? Uh, a favorite personal memory? I mean, I think I'll probably, uh, I'm going to take uh, take the easy answer and say that uh, my favorite memory of Scooby was uh, writing the wedding episode, uh, I, I Scooby Dooby Doo, I think it's called, because uh, I wrote that episode with my now wife while we were planning our wedding and we were writing a wedding in Scooby-Doo during that time. And that was really fun. And it was really uh, cool that we got to do that. Like uh, John Colton Berry, who was the the head writer of that Scooby, he knew he wanted to do a wedding episode. Uh, and I definitely jumped up and was like, oh, I'm planning my wedding right now. Can I write this one? And it was cool that he was like, oh, yeah, definitely. That is awesome. And how did you come to work in animation to begin with? Oh, uh, so I had, I had gotten sort of a strange entry level internet related job at Warner Brothers. Uh, right out of college, I was part of some college comedy troops uh, in Boston, and it, this was in like two thousand six, two thousand seven, and we had some very early YouTube success back when that didn't mean anything. Uh, so like we had some vid- we had some videos with like a million views back when that was the most views you could get on YouTube. Uh, And 
So Warner Brothers reached out to us and a couple of other people and flew us. It was crazy. This was before the recession in 2008. So this is what Hollywood was like. They flew us out to Los Angeles, put us up in apartments, gave us rental cars and like paid us a small salary every week to try to like come up with web series and like viral marketing stuff for them. And at the end of it, basically they were like, Oh, we want you to help us figure out how to make money with the internet. And our answer was, well, the way we made money from the internet was that you paid us to come here. I don't know how you're going to make money from the internet. I hope you have a plan. (laughs) Uh, And so that program ended uh, after a year, Uh, nothing really came of it. But while I was there, they introduced me to Alan Burnett, uh, the longtime uh, animation producer, writer at Warner Brothers Animation. And uh, I had I met him and had gotten kind of friendly with him uh, on the Warner Brothers Ranch, which is where our weird program was. And when the program was ending, uh, I went to Alan's office and I told him that uh, our thing was ending and that I'd be uh, be going back to being unemployed. And I gave him a big stack of scripts and said, if you'd like to read these, that would be nice. Okay, goodbye forever. Uh, and then like four or five months later, uh, he called me into the Warner Brothers Animation offices, uh, and I met the then brand new uh, president of Warner Brothers Animation, Sam Register, uh, and they said, hey, do you want to come on and be a like entry-level uh, staff writer, basically helping Alan with the Scooby DVDs? Uh, and I was like, yes, that sounds great. I'm so young and poor. Uh, and I've been doing, I've been at Warner Brothers Animation ever since for 12 years now, since 2008. Oh, that is awesome. Uh, and in that in that time at Warner Brothers, I did, I worked on, I worked on, I basically worked as a writer's assistant on the DVDs that Alan was producing at the time. Uh, then I got to write one DVD, which was the Mask of the Blue Falcon. Uh, then I, you know, wrote one episode of Mystery Incorporated. And then my biggest Scooby connection is I was the staff writer on Be Cool for the whole first season. Uh, so I helped out John with, you know, all of the episodes. And I think I wrote, I think my name's on like seven of them. So that, that's been my Scooby experience. I haven't done much Scooby lately, but it's a, it was a big part of my career. And I, I remember it all very fondly. Definitely. Uh, was working in animation something that you had always wanted to do or something that you had pictured yourself doing? Uh, it it wasn't something that I had pictured myself doing because like a lot of people, I didn't really realize it was an option. Um, I always really loved animation. Uh, I really, and you know, there wasn't as much adult animation when I was a kid, but I really liked what there was of it. And, uh, and, you know, kids animation, obviously. Uh, and I used to do my own like stop motion animated movies when I was in high school and I wasn't, I can't draw. Uh, and my stop motion was, you know, very amateur, but it was like fun for me to do. And because I knew I couldn't be like a professional animator, I thought that meant I couldn't work in animation. So I was basically making my amateur animations myself while trying to get into live action movie and TV writing, not really realizing that they could all be the same. Uh, and then in college, I wrote an animated pilot, like a spec pilot because I really like shows like Venture Brothers. Uh, well, really Venture Brothers. I basically wrote a script that uh, was me trying to copy the tone of Venture Brothers. Uh, and that is the script I gave Alan Burnett. And then because Alan is 
basically because Alan is the connection I made that got me into animation. So luckily, I've always loved animation. I've always been interested in it. I always had sort of one toe in the idea of doing animation, and I wasn't 100% focused on it because I didn't really realize it was an option, but I had just enough of a, the groundwork laid that when that opportunity came, I was able to pounce on it, uh, which is great. I love animation. Definitely. Um, and so I have a couple specific questions for your Mystery Incorporated episode, the movie, and then Be Cool, uh, if that works. Yeah, that sounds great. Perfect. So kicking off with Mystery Incorporated questions. Um, so in The Gathering Gloom, your Mystery Incorporated episode, we get to see the gang grappling a bit with uh, villain profiling. Mm -hmm. uh, is, <laughs> what was it like to be able to play with that aspect as it's you know not something that normally gets acknowledged in the show? Uh, it was so fun. Uh, I was so lucky that if I only got to write one episode of that show, which, you know, I'm a big fan of, I'm really lucky that it was that episode because I don't, uh, I don't know how much, I think you've, you've talked to some mystery incorporated people. So, uh, your listeners might already know this, but because that show was pretty serialized, uh, the writers were mostly freelance, but they were writing the outlines themselves. Uh, the season that I worked on, it was always Mitch Watson, but, uh, Mike Ryan was helping him out that season. And so when I came in to write an episode for them, they had the whole season blocked out already, the whole season two, and they told me everything that was going to happen. And then they gave me the outline for Gathering Gloom, and it was a pretty good detailed outline. So like I really just had to like execute it. I didn't really have to generate the core concepts, which was pretty amazing because that episode not only has all the joke, the meta jokes about villain profiling, it also has that whole sequence where the sheriff is like, no, every time I arrest someone, it's the wrong person. I'm just going to stop arresting people. You're not going to fool me again. I quit, basically. And it had all these great jokes that they came up with. They were in their outline. But I was like, guys, this is going to make it look like I came onto your show and pointed out all the like logical flaws with your show. <laughs> and it's really was fun to get to... It was fun to get to execute all these jokes about the like funny meta ways that the show was sort of silly even though like they actually are the ones like they know that they were poking fun at themselves but i got to come in and make it look like i was the one being like haha this is how it would really work uh, and that was really fun definitely um and with such a detailed outline was there things that you could uh come up with yourself for that episode yeah, but it was more like uh, what I was coming up with were, like I said, it was more like execution. So it was like they didn't have that much dialogue written. So in the outlines, like I was coming up with that. Like I, I remember specifically that I, I definitely wrote the line, leave those beautiful immigrants alone, I think. Um, uh, but yeah, it was it was it was more like the specific jokes and the way it was going to be executed unless all the plot stuff really was there already because they had to like if your show is going to be that serialized you can't you have to have it all figured out honestly the biggest all the notes that i got were their outlines were so detailed that when i initially wrote out everything that they had plotted out it was like twice as long a script as it needed to be and so mostly their notes were telling me which of their ideas to cut out for the second draft so it would be the right length <laughs> oh my goodness of course um, and then, of course, in that episode, you've got Daphne with her chocolate obsession. Yeah. Um, was that also in the outline? I yeah, because I think part of the part of the premise of that episode was that there was going to be some reason why kind of everyone was neutralized from helping with the mystery the way they normally would. Uh, and the one that they we I think it, there was 
I think that the chocolate thing was in there, although it's possible that was something we talked about together and came up with. Um, I do know that Daphne's chocolate obsession in Mystery Incorporated totally coincidentally wound up being kind of how we wrote Daphne in uh, Be Cool, of her just having a thing she's obsessed with every week. Definitely. And moving more towards Mask of the Blue Falcon, was that um, an idea that you had pitched or something that was brought to you to throw your hand at? That was, uh, I'm going to remember this one better uh, because, uh, yes, this was one that I pitched. Uh, I brought this to Alan as a, as a suggestion for a DVD. Uh, my original idea was to base it on uh, Com- uh, Commander Cool. Uh, the superhero that uh, Shaggy was really into in Pup Named Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Um, and so that that was my original pitch, was that they're, they're making a Commander Cool movie. Um, and I I think part of my idea for that was that, I forget, it was, was there a, did Commander Cool have a dog sidekick also, or was he just the human? I think there might have been a dog. Yeah, because I think, because obviously once it's Blue Falcon, then shit, Scooby's dressing as Dynamut. But I, I kind of think in my Commander Cool version, part of the idea was that they were inventing a dog. Like, Scooby winds up basically inventing a dog sidekick to be, because there wasn't one, I think. I don't remember. But I, I know, now I don't remember either. Uh, but, uh, but yes, I, I pitched the idea of them going to a comic book convention, uh, the idea of, like, a villain from the comic book world uh, uh, attacking, uh, and then uh, the idea of it centering around... I think my, my original version also was, instead of it being... Uh, actor the actor instead of it being like the old act the adam west style actor who used to play the character i had it with like basically a stan lee analog and a uh, like jack kirby steve ditko analog uh and the idea was like there was a disgruntled comic book artist who was mad at the writer who he thought stole all of his uh fame and so you were gonna think that the disgruntled artist was the one committing the crime oh awesome and it was gonna end with like the artist and writer like making up i think i named the writer uh because there's also Bill Finger, who was a writer, but uh, Bill Finger's the other uh, creator of like the Batman stuff. So I think I named the disgruntled artist Bill Ditby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, then when, so I, I pitched that and I wrote, I wrote a, at least an outline of it like that, if not maybe a first draft of the script. Um, and then when it actually went into production, uh, yeah, so when it went into production, so I, I pitched it to Alan, I did an outline, I might have even done a really rough first version of the script, and then it actually sat on a shelf for about a year, uh, and I started working on the Mad animated show, um, and when the script went back into uh, development, uh, they gave it to James Tucker to produce, and so, uh, and he's amazing, and it was really cool to get to work with him, and James Tucker. Tucker's the one who said, okay, I want to do this, but I want the comic book character to be Blue Falcon. And I want, instead of it being the people who created the comic, I want it to be based, I want the it to be like the actor from the original show who's kind of an Adam West type. And then it's like the director and like sort of Christian Bailey kind of actor who are doing the like Dark Knight remake. And he wanted it to be more, he wanted it to be more referencing the uh, Adam West Batman show versus the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Uh, and so then I reworked the outline uh, to incorporate all of that. But then after I did, after I did the outline, because I was staffed on mad, uh, they brought, I wasn't actually, I didn't actually have time to write the script. So I wrote a, 
because it was my first real Scooby assignment and I was really excited, uh, I wrote like an in- crazy detailed outline. Like, like the Mystery Incorporated guys gave me a detailed outline. And then for this movie, I wrote one that was four times more detailed. Uh, so Mike Ryan came in and wrote the actual script, but I definitely feel i have i i feel more attachment to this than i normally would if i just written an outline because i put so much more into that outline than you normally would because it was my first time definitely um and just maybe for those who don't know can you just explain the difference between you know all the writing credits versus like story by teleplay by and completely written by yeah i can uh, especially because i think a lot of my scooby things have some amount of that confusion so uh the when usually if something says story if something says story by you, uh that can mean a couple things but a lot of times what it means is that one person wrote the outline and a different person wrote the script and so that's how you would get story by and teleplay by sometimes what story by means is someone wrote a whole script but they changed so much of it that they end up giving that person a story by credit because they didn't use very much of what they wrote um, but in, in terms of my Scooby-Doo career, uh, story by means, uh, one person, uh, wrote the outline, which could be different levels of detail, but an outline essentially, you know, describes the whole story, uh, beginning, middle and end. Sometimes it breaks it up into scenes, but it's all in prose. It's not in script format. It's just tell it's an outline is like someone telling you what happens in an episode. It's almost like reading a Wikipedia summary and then a script is you know more detailed but more importantly it's in script format so the script says you know interior mystery machine the gang is driving down the road and then dialogue fred fred says this shaggy shaggy says this so i mean obviously there's way more detail in a script but the biggest difference is is the formatting because like you know some of some like my scooby-doo blue falcon outline had almost all of the information you needed it just needed to be formatted as a script and then you know some a little bit of embellishing but that's because again i wrote too much in that outline uh new writers i don't actually recommend writing your outlines that detailed um uh yeah i i don't know if that answered your question (laughs) yeah no it definitely did um and when it did get switched over to blue falcon were you familiar with those characters yeah, a little bit. Uh, although I will admit, I had to do I, I I had to do a little bit of research. I knew Blue Falcon and Dino Mutt mostly from their appearances in like Adult Swim cartoons. Like I knew them from Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, more than I knew them from the actual Blue Falcon cartoon. Um, but I had definitely seen some episodes, uh, and I watched uh, I watched some. Uh, but also, like because tucker was so specific about what he wanted like he knew he wanted mr hyde who was like a real villain uh and he knew he wanted you know uh the blue falcon but to be kind of adam westy like i was mostly like he was obviously a blue falcon super fan and i was more than doing my own research i was trying to execute the way he his vision like the way he wanted it um which meant uh even though i did do some research my research didn't play into it too much uh because it was more about uh executing the ideas that james had for it and uh, are you familiar with a lot of the conventions? Have you, uh, do, were you drawing on real life experience for some of that? Yes. Yeah. No, I, uh, I, the first, the first San Diego Comic-Con that I went to uh, was in 2007. So I've only ever gone to them when they were these like giant media extravaganzas. Um, but uh, I had, I, at the time, like I probably wrote this in 2012. So I had, been going to the convention every year since 2007 
so I had been going, I had been going for like five years by the time I wrote this. Awesome. Um, so yeah, all the, the general like comic conniness was like all personal, uh, experience. And then, uh, the Daphne, uh, thing where she's like, uh, collecting those, uh, little toys, uh, all of that stuff was based on, I had one friend who was really, really into my little pony and just hearing her talk about like all the pony generations and like having opinions about the different generations of ponies, uh, was really funny and fascinating to me. And so I tried to give that kind of like, uh, interest to Daphne. Definitely. That was one of my questions, actually, is if you were drawing on something for Daphne's uh, love of the, what are they called? Littlest Stuffies, I think? Yeah, something like that. I, I think I remember the name that didn't clear legal, so I don't remember the name that did. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but but uh, but yes, that, that was based off a, a friend that was really into My Little Pony. Awesome. Um, and moving to Be Cool here, uh, how did you get the chance to work on the show? Uh, it was, uh, like a lot of my projects, once I was internal at Warner Brothers, was uh, Mad. I had been writing on Mad, and that was wrapping up. Uh, and I I think I had st- I had started early development of my the sketch show that I created right now, Kapow. Uh, but it takes a long time to go from pitching it to it being an actual show. Um, and so... Uh, Warner Brothers knew that I had done some Scooby-Doo stuff in the past and that I had liked it. And so they asked me if I'd be interested in helping uh, John out on Be Cool. John had just taken over as head writer and they he needed uh, a second person to be there on staff to help like punch up scripts and uh, brainstorm stuff. And so I met with John. He pitched me his idea for their idea for Be Cool and how the show was supposed to work. They'd had, uh, I think they had like two animatics at that point. So I watched those and I was like, yes, yeah, sign me up. This seems really fun. Um, and I think Josie had mentioned that uh, there was a writer's room kicking off the show. Yeah. So because a lot of Warner Brothers animations, kids shows are all freelance writers, which is not the best way to get the best material out of everybody. And so all the shows basically try their own way to try to get uh, the best possible outcome. And what John did with Be Cool is instead of having the writers just come in, because usually what happens with freelance writers is they come in and you have a meeting with them and either they pitch you ideas for episodes or you tell them, oh, we have an episode about a wedding. Would you like to do that? Uh, and then you like talk with them and you break, spend a couple hours breaking the story. And then that one writer goes off and writes that episode. And so what, what we did for Be Cool is we would do that, but with batches of people. So we would bring in like five people. And we would all talk about all five episodes all at once. And we would all like pitch ideas and try to break the story and try to get those five episodes in as good a place as possible. And then people would go off and write them separately. Um, and so that's what we did with Be Cool. Awesome. And for a majority of the episodes that you had tossed ideas in for, did you get to write them? Uh, I'm trying to think. Well, probably... Um, I mean, I know that with Be Cool, a lot of it was John had sent in basically a list of uh, log lines, pretty much just like locations and monsters, um, and got those like pre-approved. So usually, what it uh, so usually what our process was was looking at the list and being like, okay, we know we want to do. Uh, a clown at like a Coney Island. We know we want to do like an abominable snowman at a ski resort. We know we want to do like a ghost bride at a wedding uh, and picking the one that that jumped out to you. Uh, and that 
that's mostly how we did them. And so, I mean, yeah, I feel like I, I got the ones I wanted. Uh, I know I, I really wanted to do the Scooby Snack Factory. Uh, I thought that would be really fun. Uh, I had worked as a dishwasher in like a fancy kitchen, which is why I wanted to do the kitchen one. Um, and uh, and yeah, I'm not sure why I'm not sure why Forest Vikings just had uh, jumped out at me, but maybe it was because I just really wanted to write jokes about Forest Jail. <laughs> which is one of the best parts of that episode. <laughs> I don't I don't remember how I picked Forest Vikings, but I, I remember why I wanted to do the other ones. Fair enough. And what was it like to be able to tackle a more comedic take for these iconic characters? Uh, it was really fun. Uh, I mean, you know, like, uh, it's funny because Mystery Incorporated gets remembered as like the serious, like serialized, like dark Scooby, but it's really funny. And it's really like kind of meta with the humor and... I think that's great. I think all the Scooby, you know, there was a laugh track in the original Scooby-Doo. Like all the Scooby-Doo's are supposed to be funny. And I thought that the, it was really fun and be cool to be able to do kind of like modern comedy sensibility, but not have it all be meta. One nice thing about uh, Be Cool is we tried to mostly have the comedy not be commenting on previous Scooby-Doo's um, and just try to come up with like new original funny things. Um, and it was really fun. It was definitely, uh, really fun writing, uh, Daphne with her, uh, her different, uh, things each week. Um, and you know, also like, uh, uh, be cool was the first Scooby-Doo where we had Kate Micucci and it's just really fun writing lines for Kate Micucci. Uh, it's especially fun to have, write, write her losing her mind. Like Kate playing Velma losing it is my most fun thing about Scooby-Doo. Definitely. <laughs> And out of your Be Cool episodes, or even across the series, if you had one, did you have a favorite episode or, or one that just still stands out in your mind now of, of like five years later? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, uh, the wedding episode. I really like how that one came out. Um, and then I think the Viking one, I just specifically love uh, the line of we've been thrown into forest jail and because we're 18, we're going to be tried as forest adults. Uh, I think that is my favorite. My favorite contribution to the entire Scooby-Doo mythos is we're going to be tried as forest adults. <laughs> and uh, out of the episodes that you wrote, do you have a favorite haircut scene? Oh, uh, yeah, actually, uh, that is that is in the Viking one. Uh, I really like uh, them uh, tricking the Vikings into thinking they're in a folk rock band and then having the band break up. <laughs> That is also my favorite one, I think. That was actually. You know, the Viking one is maybe coming around to being my favorite episode, since all my favorite things are from that one, apparently. Because <laughs> <laughs> I also like that bear. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> what was your favorite part or some of your favorite memories from working on Scooby? Uh, I think uh, Scooby is an especially fun show to work your friends' names into. Uh, it's really, it's really fun, uh, giving like the random crazy people who get a mask pulled off of them, the same last name as someone, you know, uh, in, I think mean, that's always fun in, uh, in media, but it's especially fun in Scooby cause Scooby's so iconic, uh, and to be able to like work a little bit of like your, your life into such an iconic thing that's, you know, it's, it started before I was born and it's going to be going along after I de I'm dead, uh, which is sort of the immense uh, the the immense responsibility of Scooby-Doo. It's just always going to be here. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
And having the chance to work on some different Scooby projects from Mystery Incorporated and Be Cool to a full-length movie, uh, was the process and the atmosphere similar on all of them, or were they distinctly different? No, uh, yeah, I would say they're pretty different because the the production model is is pretty different. Because you know, on on Mystery Incorporated, you know, because I wasn't like on staff on that show, they had the whole story all plotted out already, and I definitely just came in and helped help them execute like one episode, and then. Uh, for the movies, each movie is its own little universe. Like no one, there were no other writers working on Scooby Doo and the Mask of the Blue Falcon. Like I, I pitched the idea, and like you know, James Tucker, the producer, had a lot of really uh, important creative contributions. Then obviously, once I finished writing it, once I finished writing the outline, it got handed over to Mike. But me and Mike didn't like interact. Like I don't know that I don't actually know that me and Mike have ever even spoken about the fact that we both worked on Blue Falcon, even though like we have met and we know each other. Uh, so it was very I was very much just doing my own thing on Blue Falcon until it was someone else's thing, uh, and then on Be Cool because I was on staff, I was part of like every step of it. So like even episodes that don't have my name on them, I was still like there when we broke the story with the writer. I was still like doing some last minute punch-ups with John at the end. I was watching the animatic and helping John come up with new jokes or better lines as the animation was coming back. Like I was just there for every step of be cool. Even the episodes I didn't, you know, my name wasn't on. Uh, so I was just much more involved uh, than I was on either of the other two. For sure. Um, and what is your specific writing process for Scooby? Do you is it pretty straightforward, or do you have any weird or interesting quirks to your process? Uh, I think it's pretty straightforward. I I do usually try to. I mean, like I said about how John would get the log lines pre-approved. I think that's a good way to do Scooby. Uh, I do like to think of the location and the monster first. Um, so like for Blue Falcon, I definitely was like, oh, they go to a Comic Con, and the villain is a comic book villain from the like character that they're there to see um or like in uh uh yeah uh or like you know with the scooby snack one we're like oh they're at at the scooby snack factory and the villain is the original mascot for scooby snacks um so yeah i I definitely don't i don't start with the crime first i don't start with like oh someone i don't start with someone wants to get the insurance money on their old uh amusement park and so they're becoming a scarecrow ghost i definitely start with scarecrow ghost first and then try to think okay why would someone pretend to be a scarecrow ghost (laughs) uh and did you find that there were any challenges in writing for scooby at all whether that's you know like the mystery format and adding clues or anything else yeah definitely i got an opinion about that uh so the one thing about Scooby-Doo is when it was originally conceived uh, in 1969, it was like a, it was a 22 minute show, but the mysteries didn't have to make sense. Like they so often the monster in the original show turns out to be like the only person they even met that episode uh, or sometimes someone they hadn't even met that episode. And the explanation for why they're doing what they're doing and the clues that the kids find so rarely actually tracked because just the the standards for the level of coherent storytelling that was expected at the time were just so different and the the expectation was just that the characters are funny the monsters are cool looking there's a song like there was there was so much that was more important to them than the actual logic of the mystery um and then when we started doing the Scooby-Doo movies, those are feature length. And in a feature length story, there really is time to do the mysteries right. 
So in the feature length stories, you can have three or four suspects. You can have a lot of time setting them all up so they all seem equally likely to be the, the villain at the end. You can have a lot of clues. You can spend some time trying to explain how those clues fit together at the end. And it's really fun. Uh, it's really fun to be able to write a, sh a mystery story that might not fool people, but at least all holds together and at least definitely makes sense. But then when we moved back into 22s, when we started doing Be Cool, all those same sort of standards for how much the mystery had to be taken seriously and how much it had to work were held onto. But we had to fit it back into 22 minutes, and that was really hard. Uh, I think we did a really good job. I think, you know, John especially was very committed to making sure the mysteries tracked. But it is very difficult in 22 minutes to set up enough suspects and enough clues that the mystery really feels satisfying. And you can only do the, you can only do the joke of like, Hey, we haven't even met you before once. And then you've done that joke. And now you need to like do another thing. So I, I would say that it's, it's a good thing that our standards for Scooby-Doo stories are higher now. And it's good that we're like holding ourselves to a higher standard, but it is difficult to pull off in 22 minutes. And I have a lot of respect for anyone who can do it well. Definitely. And what was it like to work on a project for Scooby-Doo that you, you know, obviously had grown up watching those characters? Uh, I mean, it's, it's great. It's, it's fun. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's an honor to be part of such a cool thing. It's cool. Uh, it's cool writing something that has like such a dedicated built-in fan base. They're just people who really, really love Scooby-Doo and have, and there's, you know, people older than me that have just loved it their whole life and they still do, uh, which is uh, a lot of fun. And, and it's cool. One, one nice thing is a lot of times when you write kids for, when you write kids animation, you know, your intended audience are children. Uh, and unless you have your own kids, uh, which I don't, I don't know an awful lot. I don't know that many children, so I don't know that many people in my intended audience. So more often than not, when I tell people what I do, they've never heard of the shows that I've been working on. And one nice thing about Scooby-Doo is that even if someone hasn't watched my Scooby-Doo, if I tell them I write Scooby-Doo cartoons, their response is always, oh, that's cool. I love Scooby-Doo. And it's nice to have that sort of like, it's nice to be able to explain my job in a way that sounds impressive to people, even if they've never seen my one of my actual episodes. That is awesome, for sure. Do you have a favorite character of the gang to write for? Oh, I think... I mean, you know what? Actually, that's different in different versions. Uh, in Mystery Incorporated, Fred was my favorite, uh, because I loved, I loved the traps humor. Uh, I, I had a lot of fun writing a Fred that was just obsessed with the concept of traps. Um, and then I would say in, uh, in Blue Falcon, uh, let me think. So you definitely, Mr. Incorporated Fred was really fun. I think in Be Cool, Daphne was usually the most fun. Um, and I think that in, I think Blue Falcon, I don't know that I have a favorite. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I would, I would, I would say, uh, in Be Cool, Velma's my favorite character to watch, but I don't know that I was actually the best at writing her. So my, I really had a lot of fun writing Daphne. I did my best with Velma. I think other people might have done a better job than me with her in that one. Yeah, she was a lot of fun in Be Cool for sure. Yeah, she's great. Um, and uh, just a dynamic at Warner Brothers question: uh, Are you able to kind of? Um, 
suggest to them the projects that you like to work on? Like, if you say you like to work on Scooby-Doo, can you be like, yeah, give me more Scooby? Or, like, do they just throw you on whatever? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Uh, but, yeah, definitely. Uh, I would uh, – usually the way it works is that, you know, because I've just been there for such a long time, when my when a project that I'm working on is starting to wrap up, uh, usually what happens is, is I have a conversation with the uh, executives there and they kind of tell me what sorts of things are coming up and they kind of, they tell, they, ba they basically say, we've got either one or two things for you. Which one do you want to do is essentially how it, how it comes down to. Um, but then also other times, like some of it comes out of me pitching them stuff. Um, definitely, you know, right now Kapow, which was my original show happened because I pitched it to them. Uh, I'm working on some stuff uh, right now that, if it happens, it'll be because I pitched it to them. So it's uh, it's a mix, and a lot of times, what it is, especially as a as a writer, a lot of times the way it works is they already have the show in development with an artist, and they're trying to find the right writer to co-run it. Um, and so, like you know, I was the head writer on Thundercats Roar, and for that one, you know, Victor Courtright came to Warner Brothers and pitched it. It was a thing he wanted to do, and then once it was in development, Warner Brothers asked me if I wanted to help out with it, and I like met Victor and talked to him and decided, oh yeah, this is awesome. I'd love to do this. Oh, that's very cool. So, especially as a writer, sometimes the shows are a little farther along by the time they get brought to you because a lot of times they start with the character designs and the art style, and then they bring on a writer. Okay, awesome. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, I would I would say if I uh, if I ever come up with the perfect Scooby Doo reboot and brought that to Warner Brothers, they'd be they'd listen, they'd be they'd consider it. I think part of the problem with Scooby is there's always a Scooby Doo show in development. Like I don't even know what the next one's going to be, but I bet they do. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, because I think the the latest one is just airing its like last few episodes now so i'm sure they're they're working on something i'm i'm positive that if if guess who is wrapping up i'm sure they've got the next one in the works already and i'm i'm not sure what it is but i can't wait to see guess who was really fun all the scoobies are fun definitely um and why do you think that a cartoon like scooby-doo has held up for over 50 years now uh i mean i think I, I really do think it is credited to the sort of like this genius format of characters and uh, setup that uh, Joe Ruby and Ken Spears, rest in peace, uh, came up with uh, all those years ago. Uh, I think there's there is something really, really appealing to little kids about a world that is spooky and scary but at a level that is like basically perfect for being a four or five year old where like you know that it's supposed to be scary but you are not personally so scared you can't watch it and then you get to watch you know a whole group of characters but i think really what i think the success of scooby-doo is is that you are a little kid who sees a scary ghost and then shaggy and scooby who are just hungry cowards who don't want to see a ghost either uh they help find out that it wasn't a ghost at all and you get to see two very funny, relatable, basically child stand-ins, which are Shaggy and Scooby, be scared, but manage to help show that there wasn't anything to be scared of in the first place. And I think that's really appealing, especially to littler kids. Um, I think that covers all of the questions that I had here for you. Is there anything else that you wanted to add at all? Uh, no, I guess, I guess not. I'm trying to think if I have any big 
a big Scooby manifesto to lay down. Uh, no, I think I, I'm I'm good with ending on uh, kids love Shaggy and Scooby because they are hungry cowards, and I think deep down that's what most children are: hungry cowards. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that fits. <laughs> Um, and just before we end here, do you have any recent projects that you'd like to promote at all or social media channels where people can follow what you're up to? Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm mostly just on Twitter, uh, where I'm, uh, at Marley HG. So M-A-R-L-Y-H-G. Um, and as far as recent projects, uh, I was the head writer on Thundercats Roar, uh, that just finished airing the last episode of season one. Uh, you can watch that on the Cartoon Network app, or you can buy it on iTunes, or you can wait till it shows up on a streaming service, which maybe it will someday soon. Uh, and then other than that, I mean, I would tell people to keep an eye out for my next project, which is uh, I'm doing a, a miniseries for HBO Max that's animated uh, based on Aquaman. Um, but honestly, that's probably going to come out in like a year and a half, two years, so you no one will remember in a year just keep an eye out for new announcements when it's getting closer (laughs) (laughs) definitely perfect well i think that covers everything thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me again yeah thanks for having me this is fun i don't uh considering how much of my career was scooby related i don't get to talk about it very much yeah definitely i love having you and your insights on the show (laughs) yeah thanks for having me And that concludes today's episode. Another huge thank you to Marley Halpern Grazer for taking the time to chat with me. For more groovy content, be sure to check at Unmasked SD on Twitter, at Unmasked SD Podcast on Instagram, or at UnmaskedSDPodcast.com. You can also find the podcast on Facebook under the Unmasked History of Scooby Doo Podcast. If you like this episode and want to hear more, also make sure to check those social media channels or the website. Or you can listen to older episodes wherever you like to get your podcast fix. And if you want to follow Marley, you can find him on Twitter at MarleyHG. Thanks for listening, and keep an ear out for the next episode. Gooby-dooby-doo!